This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Pablo Padilla Iserte, who is in the Department of Gynecologic Oncology in La Fe University and Polytechnic Hospital in Valencia, Spain. And uh, Pablo has just finished publishing a uh, very important and interesting manuscript titled Impact of Uterine Manipulator on Oncological Outcome in Endometrial Cancer Surgery in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So uh, thank you so much, Pablo, and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Ramirez. It's an honor to be here. Well, absolutely a pleasure. And once again, congratulations on, on this great work. So um, obviously, uh, lots to talk about, and uh, I, I understand that the, the manuscript has already been uh, quite uh, controversial, and, and, um, and we will focus uh, on many points that speak to the general question of safety of minimally invasive surgery in endometrial cancer, and uh, obviously also to the point of the findings in the study. But uh, first, uh, I wanted to see if you can tell us as to why you performed this study, since most of us already were comfortable with minimally invasive surgery in uterine cancer. Everything was okay. Uh, we had implemented minimally invasive surgery as our standard following uh, two prospective uh, randomized trials. So um, tell us as to why you did this study. Yeah, we totally agree with your comments about the controversy the topic of our study. We already know that the use of minimal invasive surgery in patients who receive limited to the uterus is a standard due to evidence from randomized prospective studies like GRG Lab 2, which showed the oncological safety of minimal invasive surgery in endometrial cancer. This laparoscopic approach is not questioned in our data. If you carefully go over the evidence of minimal invasive surgery in endometrial cancer, the use of that uterine device is not an evaluated topic. Both open and minimal invasive surgery were compared regardless of whether a uterine manipulator had been used or not. We wanted to go one step further and try to answer these two questions. Will we use the uterine manipulator with oncological safety in our patients? Are the results the same with the uterine manipulator or without this manipulator? We have five retrospective studies about the uterine device in endometrial cancer surgery, in which no impact on the oncological outcome has been found. However, uh, this conclusion should be interpreted with caution due to the small number of patients included in these studies and the low rate of relapse in endometrial cancer. For us, it remains a controversial conclusion that the theoretical tumor manipulation has no clear impact on oncological prognosis in endometrial cancer. So we performed this study with a larger number of cases for its evaluation. So, Pablo, um, you know, certainly you bring up the, the question of the manipulator, and uh, certainly I think the, the focus of this paper, um, the comparison to the issue of tumor spread from the lag trial. And some might argue that, you know, certainly there are two different types of cancer here, where cervix is a tumor that is exposed to the surgical field, and endometrial cancer, there's really no tumor exposure. So why would the manipulator potentially be a concern in endometrial cancer when, when the tumor is basically 
confined to the inner cavity of the uterus. Well, that's right. That in cervical cancer, the tumor is exposed directly to that field. In endometrial cancer, um, the interaction could be different. The concept of organ-confined disease is the essential idea to understand the interaction between endometrial tumor and uterine manipulators. From this perspective, we want to evaluate the confined disease concept in endometrial cancer and its relationship with tumor manipulators. In, in every stage endometrial cancer, the mining making acts as a containment barrier which may be injured by the uterine manipulator. If this happens, the uterine device may break this confined disease. Um, as we know, in other gynecological tumors, uh, such as um, early stage epithelial and cancer or uterine sarcoma, when the confined disease is broken, the oncological outcome worsens. It's important to remember that the relationship between endometrial cancer and uterine manipulators is limited. So this study tries to help us to understand this interaction better. So then tell us about the, because obviously there, there are many who are going to be very interested in the details of your inclusion and exclusion criteria for, for this study. And I, I'm particularly interested in the fact that, you know, as I saw and we can see from the study, there were a lot of centers that were uh, involved. So what criteria did you use to determine which centers participated um, in your study as well? This study was performed on behalf of the Spanish Society of Gynecology and Obstetrics. These 15 centers present an active member of the Spanish Investigational Network Gynecology Oncology Group, Spain GOG. Uh, about the inclusion criteria, we try to be as precise as possible in the evaluation of the interaction and just collected patients with the standard use of uterine manipulators in minimal invasive surgery. We only included patients with a disease apparently confined in the uterus at the time of the surgery, mm -hmm. with histological confirmation of endometrial cancer, in which a hysterectomy was performed. Patients with surgical stage in accordance with recommendation were also included. Uh, apparently, early stage disease was defined as a disease being confined to the uterus according to myometrial imaging assessment, by transvaginal ultrasound and pelvic MRI. First surgery were performed by a minimal invasive approach, either balaparoscopy or robotic approach. Regarding exclusion criteria, all patients with no uterine confined disease or those in whom the interaction could not be demonstrated were rejected. Patients with suspect disease beyond the uterus in preparative assessment or confirmed during surgical exploration were also excluded. Cases with no pathological confirmation of endometrial cancer in the final surgical specimen or final histology of atypical hyperplasia were excluded. Patients with open surgery, um, conversion to laparotomy, or only vaginal hysterectomy were not included either. To sum up, this study was performed in patients with suspect endometrial cancer confined in the uterus at the time of the surgery. With or without use of uterine manipulators by minimal invasive surgery. And, and tell us about the uh, the centers. W why did you choose these fifteen centers, or, or what were the criteria to actually select these centers? Yeah, we choose about the the, the selection criteria. 
um, accused members of Spain uh, UAE. Okay. So now, what were the the main findings of, of the study? Does the uterine manipulator really make a difference when performing endometrial cancer surgery? Yes. Uh, well, the main finding of uh, our study was the use of uterine manipulators is associated with worse oncological outcomes in patients with uterine confined endometrial cancer. It was stage one, two, by minimal invasive surgery. These patients present a higher rate of recurrence, lower recurrence to survival, and lower overall survival, regardless of the type of manipulator, with no differences in pattern of recurrence. One of the most surprising results of our study that we observed in our study was a worse prognosis when the uterine manipulator was used in patients with the uterine confined disease, level 1, level 2. Mm. Not present in those patients with the confined disease, level 3, at the time of the surgery. And it's very surprised that if the negative outcome was not observed in those patients, it was it were upstaged at the time of the surgery. In other words, when the disease has spread outside the uterus before the surgery, the negative effect of the uterine manipulator is less. However, when the endometrial cancer is still confined in the uterus, the manipulator may cause it to spread. This result supports the concept that the uterine manipulator may act in breaking the uterine confined disease and worsen the oncological outcome. Regarding the pattern of recurrence, no differences were found. Most of the recurrences in both groups happened as peritoneal carcinomatosis or visceral metastasis. Relapses in the vaginal bone were similar in both arms. Yeah, so very, very interesting findings. So even when just confined to the, uh, to the uterus, the uterine manipulator had an adverse uh, impact on outcomes. So I do want to actually get into some of the details of, uh, of what you discuss and some of the things that I was reading in the manuscript. Um, you know, certainly w whenever we speak of oncologic outcomes, I'm always interested where, uh, you know, whether the medium follow-up was similar for both groups, particularly obviously in retrospective studies. Um, was the follow-up the, the same in, in patients with and without a manipulator? Yeah. There were practically no differences in the median follow-up there in either group. Uh, a median follow-up of 45 months for manipulator group and 43 for no uterine manipulator. Mm -hmm. So the median follow-up was very similar in both groups. Yeah. And then another question that often comes up, uh, particularly obviously when um, addressing the issue of uh, minimally invasive surgery, what, what was the distribution of robotic versus laparoscopic approach, and uh, and I was just wondering, was there any difference in recurrence between these two approaches uh, when using the manipulator? Yeah, and most of the cases in both arms, in uterine manipulator and no uterine manipulator, were performed by laparoscopy. 90% in no uterine manipulator and 91% in uterine manipulator. So the rate of robotic approach was around 10% in both groups. Uh, we were not able to assess the difference between laparoscopic and robotic approach, as we didn't have the, the statistics to evaluate it right. due to a small number of patients with robotic approach, just 10% of our sample cases. I see. Yeah. 
And and one <coughs> one of the other things that I that I noticed was uh, that you pointed out that there was no difference uh, in type one versus type two, no difference in grade, no difference in depth of invasion, tumor diameter, or the number of lymph nodes harvested between the groups. But I, I did notice that the manipulator group had more lymphascular space invasion. So uh, you know certainly did the manipulator group have more positive nodes also. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. It's like that lymphovascular invasion in the uterine manipulator group is higher than the non-uterine manipulator. Does it mean that the manipulator group is a higher risk at baseline? Lymphovascular invasion is a very complex question with no simple answer. Other studies in relation to this issue, to the relation between uterine manipulator and endometrial cancer, present the same problem that we have high rates of missing data, for example, the, the Italian study, or in other studies, was just not reported. Mm-hmm. About the question if the manipulator group have more positive nodes, the response is no. Both groups have the same lymph node metastasis in pelvic and paraotic nodes, mm-hmm. as reflected in table two. This means that the increase of lymphovascular invasion in the uterine manipulator group didn't lead different rates of lymph node involvement. In our study, we cannot be assured that this higher rate of lymphovascular invasion in the manipulator group was an artifact caused by uterine device, as there was no a standard pathologic assessment. Mm-hmm. The published prevalence of real lymphovascular invasion in all stages and grades of endometrial cancer is less than 25%. It's known that higher rates of lymphovascular invasion are associated with deep myometrial invasion mm-hmm. and probably differentiated tumor. But these factors are balanced out in both groups. To evaluate this item, the relationship between uterine manipulator and lymphovascular invasion, a standard pathologic assessment is needed, but is not able in the perspective study. Right, de- definitely. Um, and and <coughs> one of the things that I noticed was that um, about half of the patients in both groups received adjuvant treatment. And some might say, you know, th- this is uh, fairly high for endometrial cancer. Um, why yeah. do you think that was the case? Yeah, uh, the adjuvant treatment seems to be high for endometrial cancer at lower rates. It was in concordance with the indication of adjuvant treatment according to Spanish guidelines at the moment of recruitment. The adjuvant treatments were very similar in both in both arms. Nowadays, we all know that the indication of radiotherapy are more limited. Yeah, so, so it might have been an issue of when the patients were, were treated uh, along the time frame of the study. Um, now... Did you, f- did you find whether there was a difference in the findings uh, when the manipulator had a balloon or, or not? In other words, did the manipulators with balloons do worse than those without? Yeah, uh, it's a, an old-fashioned idea that the uterine manipulator with balloons are worse than those without. We wanted to address this question in our study so the analysis of the subtype of the manipulator used, a balloon versus no balloon device, were also evaluated. 
is also the differences between ADA groups, between balloon device or no balloon device. In our study, the test of the uterine device is identical to the use of balloon or not. In agreement with other published data on this issue, it seems that we don't have better or worse manipulators. I encourage the reader to see the complementary video on the paper. Then you can see the effect of the manipulators on the surgical specimen because it's very explanatory to see the interaction between the uterine devices with balloon or without. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, actually, for adding that uh, additional information regarding the video. We'll be sure to watch that. Um, now, you mentioned that the recurrence rate was higher in patients where the manipulator was used, and I, I found really interesting that the rate of carcinomatosis, uh, I believe you mentioned it exceeded 35%. I mean, this is obviously extraordinary. Um, first question is, why do you think that might be the case? And, and the second question actually uh, comes from a discussion we had with, uh, with our fellows recently, uh, that I believe in, in table two, you mentioned that carcinomatosis was 4% and 2.7% respectively in both groups. So can you uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, discrepancy in, exp in explaining those, those percentages? Uh, as it shows in table two, the relapse was higher with the uterine manipulator with 11.7% versus 7.4%. In infected groups, 21 patients out of 205 had a carcinomatous recurrence. In the non-manipulator group, 25 patients out of 67. So we have around 2 to 5% of peritoneal carcinomatosis relapse in both arms. It might be surprising to note, but it has an explanation. It seems to be related to the higher incidence of high-grade strategies in our group. It's important to remember that about 73% of the samples in both groups were type 2 strategies. The current data doesn't support the usual idea that the most common site of recurrence in early stage endometrial cancer in all histologies is the vagina. A higher vaginal recurrence was observed when the patient was selected by histologies, as shown in a great percentage of the study, for example, Portet 1. This trial only recruits patients with a stage 1 endometrial cancer, either grade 1, grade 2, or grade 3, 0, 1, 8. The local-regional recurrence rates were higher than this one metastasis. But these results are not comparable to our study due to different patient selection criteria. About the discrepancy in table 2, the percentages are correct. No statistical differences were found with a p-value of 0.12. It may show a tendency to a greater distance relapse with the use of uterine manipulators. However, we are not able to demonstrate this with our data. And so, Pablo, you know, certainly many who have read this uh, paper and, and have been uh, somewhat critical of the paper have said, you know, the authors never really say how many times the uterus was ruptured during the surgery and hypothesizing that that's why the manipulator used was associated with uh, worse survival outcomes. In other words, it's not the instrument. It's just the surgeon that does not know how to use the instrument. Do you have any information as to what was the rate of uh, uterine rupture with the manipulator? 
And uh, why was this not reported in the study? Well, unfortunately, we are in disagreement. We are aware that the rate of decriminalization is one of the several limitations of our study, and we know. We didn't report it in our paper because we didn't have this data due to the decriminalization in surgical reports have not been reported. The perforation rate with the lithium device is rarely established or underreported in surgical reports. Machida reports a perforation rate of about 2.4 to 1%, which is more common with the balloon manipulator. If you look at the results of our study from a lithium perforation perspective only, then you are not looking at the results of the whole data. According to this discussion, that will mean that we got 12% solutin perforation rate in our sample. 12% of lithium perforation is quite incredible. Do the critics honestly believe that we have 210 patients with lithium perforation with the use of lithium device? Furthermore, if our study were only related to the lithium perforation, I will explain that the currents in the vaginal void are the same in both groups. Mm -hmm. I recommend the critics once again see the video included with the paper and notice the complexity in the interaction between endometrial tumor and lithium device to understand that other factors could be involved. And Pablo, this video, just to clarify to our listeners, is in, uh, attached to the paper in the, uh, in the same issue of the journal? Yes, it is. Okay. Now, um, wanted to ask you, was there a difference in recurrence in any one of these centers? Um, you know, I, I didn't see this information. In other words, was there a center where the recurrences absolutely predominated? It might have been an issue of, you know, certainly poor technique or, or inappropriate use of the manipulator. Mm -hmm. uh, well, before statistical analysis, we attempted to evaluate the probability of recurrence rate for each center. However, we found that 15 centers had very similar rates. So there was not a center with predominant recurrences. And now, you know, certainly there are many who have uh, read this paper, and this is actually some of the discussion we had with our, with our fellows journal club um, last week, uh, where they say, look, GOG Lab 2 and the LACE trial, two prospective randomized trials, uh, and in fact, several retrospective studies have not shown that there is a difference in outcomes. So why do you think yours shows a difference? Well, um, GOG Lab 2 and LACE trials evaluate the laparoscopic versus open approach in early stage endometrial cancer with no differences in oncological safety in both arms. It's very interesting that if you go over these two trials in detail, the uterine manipulator was not assessed. They collected minimal invasive groups without differentiating whether the uterine manipulator has been used or not. So our results cannot be compared to this trial because our study didn't include open arms. We cannot compare our study with others due to different approach evaluation. About the present evidence in uterine manipulator, we have limited evidence from retrospective studies, from five retrospective studies. 
perspective with no impact of the European manipulator use and oncological outcome has been found. Why our research different? Why is different our research? The answer is related to the sample size and the low prevalence of recurrence in endometrial cancer. The real risk of recurrence is two times for all patients and less than 2% for patients at low risk. And it's important to remember that 80% of our, of our patients were low risk. Mm -hmm. When the magnitude of the difference is super low, like the effect of UT manipulator in endometrial cancer, large samples are required to detect statistical significance. Therefore, conclusions from a small sample size should be interpreted with caution. In this situation, previously published studies only included less than 900 patients. The relapse rate in the non-UTM manipulator group was always lower, but not statistically significant. Nevertheless, the size of those studies seems to limit their power to find the differences in the recurrence rate. On the other hand, our study included 2,651 patients who were able to detect these differences by increasing the sample size. It's a basic statistical term to explain the sample size must be sufficient to test the primary objective. So I think the sample size was the main difference of our study. Right. So now getting on to the um, weaknesses of the study, uh, you know, from your perspective, and, and if you can particularly address, I think, uh, several points that have come up in, in some discussions, um, missing values, the other as to, uh, you know, certainly we can't tell whether coagulating the, the tubes uh, made a difference. And, and again, if you can just go back to um, the issue of why the, the data on uterine rupture was not there or, or not attainable. Yeah, as I said before, the, the uterine rupture has not been reported. You are asking about the, the quality of the data of our study. We knew that we will have several limitations, and it's a retrospective study. The presence of uterine rupture or the coagulation of the tube is physical data. We must be reflected in the surgical report. We were not able to use this because it was not reported by Insolvery, and we didn't have the opportunity to collect this data. As I'm sure it will have increased the quality of the results. These items, the routine perforation and the coagulation of the tube, have, have not been taken into account or reported in previous studies about uterine manipulation. To be honest, I think it's one of the greatest limitations of our studies, mm -hmm. and we wish we had this information also. So now, s some of the uh, some discussions have uh, led around the topic of well. Perhaps one should stop using manipulators in the setting of uh, high-risk disease, and maybe we can keep using it in the setting of low-risk disease. Um, is that a fair assumption uh, based on the results of these studies? Yeah, it's a very, very tricky question. <laughs> According to our results, the, the UTM manipulator should be avoided in patients with confined disease at the moment of the surgery, CO1, CO2, independent of histology. About the question if the uterine use is safe in low-risk endometrial cancer, 
we just have to say about 80% of our samples were low-risk patients. Mm. And the result suggests that it has an impact on oncological outcomes. Also, just it is safe in low-risk histology, where we don't have the statistical power to separate by type of histology. It's also important to remember the discrepancy that exists between the pre-critical histology and the final histology. With a brain rate, reports about 70 to 50%. That supports the fact that the, the operative tumor rate doesn't reliably predict the final histologic rate, mainly mm -hmm. in the cases with grade one or grade two. For this reason, it seems incorrect to use or not the routine manipulator basis on the previous histology. So now, Pablo, one um, one last question. Um, you know, and, and obviously many are, are are wondering with regards to you know what do we do with this data. Um, so first question is uh, of, of of this last uh, uh, discussion is will you and all the institutions involved in this study stop using uh, the uterine manipulator? You know, you certainly you you mentioned a, a prospective study. And some might say, well, low likelihood of that happening, or if conducted, we won't have the results until you know, several years from now. So in other words, final question, what do we do with this data? Should this study modify at all our practice? Did it modify your practice? Right. Um, common sense is the best gift we can give our patients. Current evidence is questioning the safety of the use of uterine manipulator in gynecological cancer. For example, the FACOR trial in cervical cancer and in endometrial cancer, our own data. It's a personal choice to use or not the uterine manipulator. But if there are oncological doubts about the use of the manipulator, and we have the alternative to perform the same procedure without, I personally have no doubts what will be done. It's so important to remember that hysterectomy with the manipulator is possible, simple, easy, and safe. None of the data published to date have demonstrated that a uterine device reduces surgical complications. It's only to adapt your physical skills to a, to a new situation. As a new challenge, do your best. I just I hope people begin thinking about if we have enough evidence to use the uterine manipulator safely, especially when other possibilities exist to perform the same type of trial. So if if I were to go to your operating room next week, will I see you using a uterine manipulator or not? No, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> All right. Well, Pablo, listen, it's, uh, it's been a, a great pleasure uh, speaking with you. And um, again, congratulations on this, uh, on this study and your uh, publication, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm sure that um, thoughts about using manipulator will continue, but thank you very much, Angelina. Absolutely. Thank you.